Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Today, I'm talking to Frederick Gagnet, who is a harmonica player that got the attention of legendary director Martin Scorsese, and his sound right now is being featured in Killers of the Flower Moon. I call it the death harmonica, and I'll explain exactly what that is. In the movie review, I'll be talking about Five Nights at Freddy's, and in the trailer park, we'll be looking at Bradley Cooper's second movie that he's directing. It's Netflix's Maestro, and the issue I think Netflix is having right now when it comes to their original movie. So we'll get into all that. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. About to get into my conversation with Frederick Yonet, and that name you might not be completely familiar with, but if you have seen or are planning to see Killers of the Flower Moon, you are going to know the sound of his harmonica. He is a French musician and has such a distinct sound that Martin Scorsese knew he had to have it in his movie to portray the sound of death which I don't always think harmonica and death, but somehow they go perfectly together. And you're probably wondering, what does that even sound like? Well, here's a little clip of his work on the score of Killers of the Flower Moon. Listen to that harmonica. 
So that's a little bit of Frederick's work. He is also friends with Dave Chappelle, which we'll get into later in the interview. And here's what Dave Chappelle had to say about him. Fred is a musical anomaly. He plays an instrument that I didn't even really know I liked until I heard him and one other person play. Maybe two other people play it. But I'm going to say he's amongst the best I've ever heard play it. Fred, if you would, just give them a little sample of how we became friends. Frederick has toured with legends like Stevie Wonder and Prince, and he's actually doing a couple of shows in D.C. coming up on December 1st and December 2nd. You can get tickets at carlisleroom.com slash shows or check the episode notes of this podcast if you want to go see him live. But now let's get into it, talking about his work on Killers of the Flower Moon and how he met director Martin Scorsese. Frederick, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Mike. How's everything with you? I'm doing really well. Now, when I was in sixth grade, I was in band and... The instrument I got forced upon me was the clarinet, which wasn't the sexiest of instruments, but it was the only one that I could try out for. So it was just kind of forced onto me. When I think of you and you playing harmonica, again, to a kid, probably not the sexiest instrument to say, hey, here's a harmonica. How was that given to you when you first started playing? Well, you had the the, the, the side of the stick. I was actually introduced to music. See, I grew up in France, right? So I was introduced to music through the recorder. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So I went from um, the frustrating experience of trying to make the recording sound good to the amazing opportunity to have something that fits in your pocket that's very inexpensive and that creates a lot of uh, curiosity in the audience. The beauty of this instrument is, you know, it fits in your hands. And when you play it, you don't really know where the sound is really coming from. It's almost like a magic trick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the only wind instrument that can generate music by exhaling through it or inhaling through it. So as you play the harmonica, when you start inhaling through it, you become a part of the instrument yourself because the sound is going to resonate through your torso, your throat, and your your head. Every Basically, your, your, your body becomes an amplification of the frequencies generated by the, the instrument. So those are all the reasons why I fell in love with the instrument, but also the fact that I grew up with asthma. And as, you know, as a kid, instead of carrying an inhaler in my pocket every day because, you know, you never knew when an asthma attack was going to show up, I started carrying this instead. And one day I realized that, oh, I was taking my harmonica everywhere I was going, but my inhaler was still on my table at home. <laughs> so the more I played the instrument, the better my health was getting, the, better, the, the, the more friends I was making. It's an easy choice. Now you have such a distinct sound, almost to the point that if I hear your music, I just know it's you immediately. How do you start developing that? Like, where do you get this just tone that ends up being your sound? You know, I remember a long time ago, I heard an interview of Wynton Marsalis, who said something in the vein of, there's going to be a lot of people trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do um, in order to be better and to sound like yourself. You just have to put more hours than anybody else into the game. And that's really what I did. I studied the, um, I studied the harmonica from the perspective of a music fan, not from a harmonica player's perspective. I learned the instrument through, I learned to replicate 
the the sound of the blues, the sound of country music, the sound of gospel, the sound every basically genre with the musical genre with the harmonica was uh, prominently um, being you know featured. And by studying all those titles, I started to create my own. Um, and I realized also that the harmonica was not necessarily present in the music I really enjoyed listening to the most, which at the time was fusion and jazz and reggae, R&B, even pop music. So it created a lot of opportunities for me because, you know, not a whole lot of harmonica players saw it from that perspective. And here I am today, you know, after having performed with Prince, Stevie, Ed Sheeran, and now Martin Scorsese. Oh, yeah, which I want to talk about, which... I saw the movie and I was completely floored by the film. In movies, I always feel that the score gets overlooked because there is so much impactfulness that just the sounds in a movie make you feel, whether you realize it or not, that sentiment from an instrument or from just the song playing during a very specific point in a movie changes the entire thing for me. So I think it's something that we don't realize because we are just taking it with our eyes, but we're also feeling something. And with your sound of that harmonica, I just associated it in the movie with greed and death and all these dark things. So how does that feel to know that your sound is associated with such just dark imagery? Well, I mean, there's, it's an experience. The first thing is um, I'm, I'm really honored to, to, be, uh, to be featured in that and to be a part of something so meaningful, so impactful, so uh, um, deeply disturbing. That is a true story, a true American story. I'm honored to have been chosen to to be the harmonica on the strike because obviously Scorsese wanted a harmonica to express, to impersonate exactly what you described, the spirit of greed, the, uh, the dark thoughts of a whole group of people who were seeking profit and, and put profit ahead of their moral construct. You know, I, I feel honored to be a part of this, but I also find it very interesting that the harmonica could be perceived as a tool to the, to actually channel the, that kind of uh, emotion and energy. I had never thought of it that way myself because when I play, I try to connect my experiences, my experienced emotions and try to convey it into a, morph them into a sound that hopefully my audience will connect to. That's actually a very interesting point because when I met Martin Scorsese at the premiere in Cannes earlier in May this year, um, it was our first time meeting, and um, he, you know, introduced myself as the the, the harmonica player for the Irishman and Heroes of the Flower Moon. He said, "Oh my gosh, you're harmonica master." <laughs> how uh, you know he grew up with the harmonica as a, the, the soundtrack of his childhood and his uh, his grandfather was a harmonica fan and he used to listen to it a lot as he was growing up so you know we talked about this for a while and after after we got comfortable I actually tapped him and, and, I, and I asked him so what is it about my playing that makes you want to kill people and we had a good <laughs> laugh with that so how did that relationship start if you First met him this year, but you worked on The Irishman. How does he even discover you? Everything started with Robbie Robertson. Robbie and um, Martin Scorsese have have um, they had he bless his soul. He he passed away in August. Um, they had a, a, a long term friendship and uh, and and they, they they produced a lot of movies. They produced a lot of movies together. Uh, Robbie was a part of the band. He was in the uh, Last Waltz, backing up uh, Bob Dylan. Um, he did Gangs of New York, Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, a lot of lot of um, major Scorsese pieces were were 
uh, scored by Robbie Robertson. And when he and uh, Martin Scorsese talked about the spirit of death in the uh, in the Irishman and the spirit of greed in Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese really wanted the harmonica to be that particular lead instrument to um, to impersonate those spirits um, uh, on the score. So when you're working with Robbie, who's the composer, who's the composer on Irishman and Killers of the Flower Moon, what is your direction when you're recording this music? Do you know what scene it's going to? Do you have an idea of the sentiment that you're trying to portray and, you know, convey through your music? So from what Robbie explained to me that the the movie was being filmed at the same time as the music was being produced. And he they had some conversations and the guideline he gave me for the Irishman, he says, stay cool, stay sexy, and be sneaky. Those were the three directions, which are very interesting because those are the ideas of, um, those are pretty much the, um, um, you 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 can see that there's going to be characters of a hitman as well. Yeah. <laughs> so by 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 really focusing on those three words, um, I started impersonating you know this this uh, this uh, ambiance, this atmosphere, this vibe, and that's what came out on the, on the theme for the Irishman. Um, they had some melodies already written. Um, they had some ideas of how the music was to be interpreted, but at the end of the day, they decided to keep the tracks that had more of my interpretation of his melodies, um, more um, of my emotions, more of the way I was morphing the instrument versus the instrument was morphing me. I think what they really wanted was a harmonica that didn't really sound like a harmonica. That sounded more like a human voice or a violin or sometimes a saxophone, a guitar, or, or you know, sometimes a drum uh, as well. So I guess the uh, my, my ability to to, to learn all those styles, all those uh, uh, colors of the harmonica was actually implemented in, in, uh, in this production. Well, I think it fits so well. I think ultimately it personified death in the film for me. So you mentioned the, the premiere earlier. When you go watch it at the premiere, what is that feeling like of being able to hear your work in a room for, full of all these legendary people. Okay, so I was born in France. About 25 years ago, I met this amazing American woman who I'm married to today. And I met her in Cannes during the film festival. And she was there for her birthday. Um, and this year uh, was really uh, an amazing experience for all those reasons. This is my 50th year on this planet. And we had an opportunity to actually go to the premiere in Cannes, where she and I met 25 years ago, and the movie was premiering in the most prestigious uh, movie theater of my country with 3,500 more people. So that was kind of surreal, to be completely honest. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and every time the harmonica kept popping up on the screen, I'm not going to lie to you, I had a huge smile come on my face. <laughs> and I was, I was probably the only one in the movie theater who was smiling every time some the spirit of greed was, <laughs> was coming up on the screen. You're the one rooting uh, for all the bad things in the film because it's like, that's me. <laughs> exactly. Happy anniversary, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so much so that I'm sorry that we had to go back to the premiere in New York uh, where I finally got to really uh, experience the movie for, uh, for for what it really was meant to, uh, to be designed. That's amazing. That's an awesome full circle moment. I was also 
you have one of my favorite tiny desk sessions of all time. And just the first time I hear you play harmonica and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. The thing that stuck out to me about that was the fact that Dave Chappelle introduced you. How do you become friends with Dave Chappelle? Oh my gosh. Very, uh, it, it was very organic. I mean, Dave is a, is a, is a comedian, but one thing you need to know about comedians is they love music. They're, most comedians I know believe they are musicians. And most musicians we know believe they are comedians. <laughs> I learned to step away from that, from, from that, 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 that genre. I just leave it to Dave. But uh, we, I met Dave in, um, I think, 2005, uh, right after he came back from South Africa. And uh, we, um, we, we have this friendship. We actually have a show together. We call it Dave Chappelle's Juke Joint. And it features uh, my my band, which is, we, he likes to call it the band with no name because all those musicians are musicians I have met on the road when I was touring with Prince and Stevie. And uh, on the other side of the venue, we have a DJ called DJ D-Nice, who you've probably heard of. And um, it's the best party you've never heard of because everybody's phone is locked in those yonder bags. Oh, yeah. Those yonder bags. And, you know, people just can get loose knowing that there's no surveillance uh, on site and get really comfortable and the party goes on for hours. So uh, Dave is a huge music fan, as you know, and that uh, that ties our relationship and friendship. Yeah, I love that throughout all of his work, he's always made it a point to feature some kind of musician, even on Chappelle's show or doing like the block party. There's always been a strong music tie with him. So I think it's awesome that you guys do things together. Absolutely. It's an honor to watch him do his thing as well. I mean, he's such a, such an important voice in, 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 in today, uh, today's environment. So what are you working on right now that you're excited about? My goodness, I'm producing music uh, on, a, on a regular basis. I'm, uh, I'm actually preparing for a couple of shows I'm doing at, uh, in, uh, in D.C. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a couple of weeks. I'm uh, uh, at the Carlisle Room. If you're in D.C., you're more than welcome to come. I'd love to, uh, to invite you to come over. Um, I don't know if you remember this story, but during the pandemic, we um, had just purchased a house in Washington, D.C. And um, right before the pandemic, I gutted the place. And uh, when the pandemic occurred, of course, everybody's calendar got completely pulled down to zero, including all my musicians and myself. So I was looking at contemplating that, uh, that empty house completely gutted with not, no dates on the schedule. So I decided to create a virtual jazz club. And it was at first just for the neighbors. So we could, you know, uh, cheer the neighborhood a little bit. So we opened the windows and played on Sundays at six o'clock. We would play for the neighbors. And then, of course, it grew into something because CNN picked up on the story. Uh, BBC picked up the story. Uh, the French TV networks did as well. So we started broadcasting it on social media as well. And DJ D Nice let me use his, his Instagram. So it became something that really grew and, uh, and, and tied the neighborhood. Uh, the neighbors are um, a little closer. Um, it canceled the uh, the idea of social distancing and created, you know, uh, uh, a community. Um, now the project is done, so we're about to have one more concert for the neighbors, uh, but this time with a finished house. So that's what I've been working on lately. Well, that's awesome. I encourage everybody listening now to go check out your music, and if they can make it to a show in DC, go do that. And I hope to get to see you live. At some point, and also everybody, go watch Killers of the Flower Moon and know whenever that death and despair comes on screen, that's Frederick right there. 
the sound of greed. <laughs> well, it's been great getting to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Mike, thank you so much for your time. All the best to you and I uh, hope to meet you in person very soon. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Let's get into it. A spoiler-free movie review. I want to talk about Five Nights at Freddy's, a movie I picked to be my Halloween movie of the weekend. I was so excited to sit down in the theater. Kelsey didn't go with me because she doesn't do horror movies. I got my middle seat, one row up. It was all cozy, ready just to have some fun, have some thrills, have some scares. And this movie let me down. Ruined my Halloween weekend, and I won't say that I had high, even medium expectations going into this movie. After watching the trailer, I saw some things that were some red flags, showing a lot of the plot, 
showing a lot of what would be the most scariest parts in the entire movie. So I knew it probably wasn't going to be the best thing ever, but I can respect a video game adaptation, which this is what this is. It's based on a video game. I'm not that familiar with the game, aside from what I remember from people in high school talking about how scary this game was. I thought maybe some of that would translate into the movie. It's also coming to us from Blumhouse, who does really solid horror movies. Just earlier this year, they created a horror icon with Megan. And then you have Josh Hutchinson, who we all remember as Peter Malark from The Hunger Games, the guy who was supposed to be it for a minute, who's Acting career has taken a bit of a tumble. He never went on to be that guy. I think that was due to a lot of movies he was cast in just weren't the right roles for him. And then you have Matthew Lillard in this movie. You have Elizabeth Lale who plays a cop who helps out Josh Hutcherson's character in this movie. So why did I not like it? First of all, the movie is about Josh Hutcherson's character who is down on his luck. After an incident went down, he was working as mall security. He punched a guy who he thought was abducting another kid, and it turns out it was just the boy's father. So he not only punched him, he pummeled the guy, and after that has been bouncing around from job to job. He lost his parents, he lost his brother, and is now taking care of his sister. So in order to prevent his aunt from taking custody of his sister, he has to just have a stable job. Now, when telling his story in this movie, there were so many cliches that they used to portray a person who is down on their luck, hit rock bottom. And that was one of them. At the very beginning, trying to get a job, he's listing out all the things he's had wrong with him. What's your deal, guy? That type of thing. It just felt very generic and very forced. And I was like, okay, maybe I can get past that. We'll get into the horror. We'll get into some fun. But even the way this movie opened up was so generic. In that first kill in a horror movie, it's supposed to hook you in. It's supposed to showcase what is going to make this villain, what is going to make all these monsters great. And it was so lame. It set nothing up tone-wise. It was just kind of there. And that is kind of how this entire movie felt. It was a bunch of random scenes cut and pasted together. So how his character goes on, he's trying to find that job. He gets offered this one job by Matthew Lillard's character, and it's a security job working at this pizzeria that has been abandoned since the 80s. And they tell you this very loose story of what happened there. But it's all about him going there and figuring it out on his own. So I won't get into all those details. But essentially, yes, he's working this graveyard shift at this pizzeria. And you have these animatronic figures that are very creepy looking. Which, aside from the girl in this movie who plays Abby, his young sister... Those were my other favorite part of it. Just the way that they looked, not the way that they acted, not the way that they interacted, or not even the way that they killed people, just the way that they looked, because I thought that was going to be pretty novel. So then he takes the job, goes and starts working at this graveyard shift, and then that's where all the creepy things happen. Where this movie lost me, really, is that you have a character here working in a creepy situation, a late night graveyard shift. You should have showed exactly how creepy it is to be in a place that late at night at dark with all these weird things happening with these weird animatronic figures shifting around and you have the security cams somehow you made that not scary not only did you make it not scary they made it boring and this is coming from somebody who worked an overnight shift like this. I used to work at a radio station from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. And let me tell you, from the hours from about 
12 a.m. to 3 a.m., you get pretty freaked out because you're just getting used to it. You're there very late. You're fighting your body's natural reaction to want to go to sleep at that time. You're doing things to keep you awake. I'm drinking coffee. And every single noise you hear, you question because you're just there alone. The radio station I worked in was this really big, old, creepy building. Sometimes it would sound like there was somebody pushing a mop bucket down the hallway. I would go look out and there would be nothing there. Probably not haunted, probably just a lot of things running in my brain, but that's how creepy it is and that's how much your mind messes with you when you are working at a place overnight and supposed to be the one looking over everything. They didn't show that in this movie. It should have been creepy enough just to be there on your own without the animatronics there and they completely fumbled that. Not only that, the acting throughout this entire movie was terrible. Did Josh Hutcherson even show up? Like, was he there? He was on the screen, but was he there? I don't think he was. And for somebody who needs a movie to put him back in the spotlight, put him back on the map, this was terribly miscast. And I feel like maybe they got him because he has some name recognition. Maybe they were trying to find somebody else to fill this role and they landed on him and thought, okay, maybe we can make this work. It did not work. His performance was so flat. He had no great interactions with anybody on the screen. And it was really important to his relationship with his sister to have some kind of big brother role. And I know their relationship in the movie is a little bit complicated. It's supposed to be that she's not speaking to anyone and she's having trouble connecting with people. And you have this whole plot line of her like drawing pictures and not really saying a whole lot. So I get it on that front. But still, it felt like he wasn't acting with them. He was acting at them. And not only that, the way they wrote his character, there was a whole lot of telling you and not showing you. There's literally one scene in this movie where he tells the female cop who is essentially kind of the love interest, kind of the one helping him navigate his new security shift. He sits down and tells her his entire life story. How lame is that? That is so lame. You're supposed to tell me through his actions, through what he is trying to accomplish in this movie and build his character, not just sit down and say, these are all the reasons I am the way. Like, no, that is so lame and so boring and such a cop out. I hated that. And also the fact that this movie even tries to play itself off as a scary movie. This movie was in no way scary whatsoever. And that's ultimately why it lost me. The trailer was creepy in its own way. It didn't look like it was going to be terrifying, but there was no part of this movie that had any horror element whatsoever. Very minimal blood, no use of jump scares, which I find cheap to begin with. But if you have a boring movie like this on your hands, at least hit me with a cheap jump scare. There wasn't even that. And there wasn't even any playfulness because that's really what this movie was missing it's a scary movie that takes place in an abandoned pizzeria where there are fun child games all around. It's essentially a old school Chuck E. Cheese, but with kind of a weird vibe to it. And you make that boring. There's so many fun, creative things that were going off in my mind of things they could have done. So it led me to believe that they didn't have enough money to make the movie they wanted, that they were relying on the IP being Five Nights at Freddy's being that it's based on a video game and thinking that so many people are going to be interested in this movie because of that, that they didn't really have to try hard. So maybe they spent so much money making the actual animatronic characters, making those lifelike, which those were at least interesting to look at. 
but they didn't really do a whole lot that gave me anything to root for or even root against. So this movie ruined my Halloween weekend, and I want it back, even though I have the Regal Unlimited, so I'm only out 55 cents, only out the tax. I'm good with that. And the movie is rated PG-13, but rate this movie PG, I guess because of the blood and because of the killing, but I don't see it anything worse than you would be exposed to on your newsfeed on Instagram. So it really wasn't that bad on a horror level. Maybe there was some language in there that I missed just because I'm so used to hearing bad language in movies, but it felt really like a cautionary tale to kids. I feel like parents should show this movie to their kids if they want them to stop begging them to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. Here, watch this movie. You'll never want to go see and visit Chuck E. Cheese ever again. That is what this movie should be. So maybe that's the reason it classifies itself as a scary movie. So there were so many things that I did not like about this movie. It just really lacked imagination. The only thing that redeemed it was I feel like Matthew Lillard is a gem that we don't appreciate. He was really committed to his role. He really shined in a movie where there weren't really that many things to be excited about. There were some cool shots, so a couple, maybe a half point for the cinematography in this movie. But really, the entire tone was off on this movie. The acting was terrible. The horror elements were subpar at best. I'm just thinking about how much this movie annoyed me, and I'm getting angry again as you hear. So, if I had to rate this movie... Uh, first of all, don't go see it in theaters. Don't waste your time. And I don't even think it's worth a stream because the only thing that really kept me watching it was the fact that I was in a theater. If I would have been at home watching this movie, I probably would have stopped it in those first 30 minutes because it was just so bad and boring to even get going. And there were only little breadcrumbs that kind of strayed me along. It was kind of like a trail of M&Ms leading me to something that I'm like, okay, maybe this is going somewhere. And about halfway through, I'm like, I just have to know how this ends. I just want to know what the conclusion is here so I can get on with my life. And even as I was leaving, the guy who was about to clean there at the Regal said, hey, you want to stick around for the post-credit scene? I was like, no, I'm good. I didn't like the pre-credit scene, the entire movie. I'm not going to stick around for the post-credit scene. So for that reason, Five Nights at Freddy's? Am I giving it five? No, I am giving it 1.5 out of five animatronics. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. I want to keep the music theme alive and take a look at Netflix's Maestro, starring and directed by Bradley Cooper. This is the second movie he has directed, the first one being A Star is Born, so he is continuing the music theme, which I feel at his core. Maybe it's because of his performance in A Star is Born, but I always feel that Bradley Cooper has wanted to be a rock star his entire life. And he has had quite the trajectory in his acting career. I mean, the same guy that was in The Hangover is now directing and starring in a movie of this quality. So to see that kind of change over his life, he was almost just a rom-com guy for a while, even there in the 2000s. He's playing a composer named Leonard Bernstein. He is starring alongside Carey Mulligan. And this movie will be a deep dive into their complicated love interest. A lot of things strike me as visually appealing in this movie. I'm also interested to get to know a lot about this composer that I really don't know a whole lot about. And I find myself enjoying biopics more when I don't know so much about the person and I'm learning about the aspects of their life. I also like when it's people who aren't the most famous people because I feel like these are the stories that need to be told and I'll get into more of that here in just a little bit. But this movie is coming out on Netflix on December 20th. Before I get into my full thoughts of Maestro, here's just a little bit of the trailer. I love people so much that it's hard for me to be alone. That music, it keeps me glued to life. I don't even know how much you need me to so like I said earlier, this is Bradley Cooper's second attempt at directing, not to say that his first attempt was a flop because The Star is Born did really well. So I feel like he's found his lane of doing music movies. And in this one, he plays a different type of rock star. And 
Breaking down the visual aspects of this trailer first, I love the way it looks when it shows his early life. It is black and white, 4-3 ratio, which is like that square, old-school TV look. If you want to get me interested in a movie, give me some 4-3 shots, especially in black and white, because it feels so artsy and cinematic. I love the look of all those shots. That being said, when it translates from the 4-3 shots to the regular widescreen in color, just that dynamic gives me that this movie is wanting to be Oscar bait. And Netflix is really good at putting out movies in November and December that just appeal to Oscar voters. And this very much feels like that. So I do go into this a little bit with a little trepidation because to be honest, I feel like Netflix has a problem when it comes to their films and their longevity because nothing that has come out on Netflix in the last two to three years has been substantial to the point that I remember them. They are very forgettable. I feel like Netflix kind of has the quantity over quality approach and sometimes I feel that they put out films that feel more like content than art. And I feel the reason I love movies is because they are works of art that have been worked through. But with Netflix just a couple years ago putting out that big campaign of we're releasing one new movie every single week, which I was excited about when that first happened because it felt very hyped to me to know that I would have a brand new movie I could watch in my home every single week. But nothing from that year of movies stuck out to me, and it just felt like they were trying just to churn out a bunch of content in order to generate subscribers, because at the end of the day, Netflix is a business trying to make money and stay afloat and keep your money there with giving you new things all the time. But I feel like that has resulted in them just putting out really lackluster movies that we watch one time and never think about again. Now, they have been nominated for a lot of Oscars. I think it's somewhere in the 50s now. They've been nominated for Best Picture before, but Netflix has not won a Best Picture Oscar to date. So I do think they have a problem when it comes to their films, and Maestro, again, I think is gonna be their one that they're gonna push to try to be nominated and win Best Picture. And if any of their movies had a shot, I feel like it would be this one just by the look of it, judging that Bradley Cooper has had some history there at the Oscars with A Star Is Born. But in this movie, what I feel like is different than other music biopics is that I feel it's going to focus on one aspect of this composer's life, which I feel is really, really important when making a biopic that I think some directors forget that you have to make a good movie at the end of the day. You can't just throw in all these cool things and accomplishments that these people have done, throw them in all into a movie and think, ah, there, there's my movie. Here are all these cool things. You still have to have a storyline and find that one thing about them that would create a memorable movie that even if you're watching it and this person did not exist, it was an entirely fictional story, it would still be entertaining and engaging to watch. I think this one is going to focus heavily on his complicated relationship with his wife. In this film, played by Carrie Mulligan, who was a great actress. I've loved her ever since I saw her in Drive, and I love the way they look together in this movie, where the complicated relationship, I think, comes in by the looks of the hints we are given in this trailer, is Leonard may have had some relationships with men, and she starts to become suspicious of this. I don't know if she's gonna catch him cheating or what exactly is going to go down, but I feel like it's gonna be him just wanting to be always around people, and sometimes maybe romantically, because in the trailer you also hear him say that he loves people so much that whenever he's not around them, he feels really lonely. So I think there's some aspect of that, of him wanting to be around people, but also 
his love of music and his love of composing being the thing that keeps him together and ties him to everything. So I think this is going to be a pretty interesting character study, and Bradley Cooper is the guy to do it and also direct himself in doing it because I really feel like he takes on roles and becomes that person. We saw that with him in A Star is Born. I don't think he's doing the full method acting approach to these roles, but he is really good at learning about his characters, learning what makes them tick, and learning how to live inside their skin, which leads me to the next controversy around this film is because he decided to wear a prosthetic nose and even though he had the approval of the family, a lot of people have a lot of issues with that because he is representing a Jewish character. I don't love it. And I've told you before on this podcast, whenever the biggest argument about somebody playing somebody in a biopic is that they don't look like the person, I argue against that because I don't think you have to look entirely like the person. I think through some just general makeup and wardrobe, as long as we know who we're looking at here, what is more important is how they portray them and how they show them through their actions and the way that they just feel on screen is more important to me than how they actually look. We had this controversy with Austin Butler of people saying he didn't look like Elvis whatsoever, but I said that he really encompassed the spirit of Elvis on stage and off stage and gave us a great representation of what he was like. I think that is more important than actually looking like the character. So I don't love the choice of using the prosthetic nose, even though you're really trying to look like him, you have the approval of the family. I just think when it comes to real life people, I always think if you're going to be comfortable with that in five to 10 years and look back on it, because there have been some choices made, you know, back in the 70s and 80s that seemed fine at the time. But now in the 2020s, you look back and think, why did they even do that? So here, I would say you don't even need it. And I don't want to make less of his presence or his fame, but he wasn't the most well-known as far as it would take me out of it by not seeing his face portrayed exactly how it was in real life. I think what this film is trying to do is teach us about somebody we need to know more about and was an important figure in music. We don't need that aspect of seeing somebody who looks exactly like them. So maybe Bradley Cooper did it because he wanted to fully live inside the skin of Leonard Bernstein and that was taking it a step forward. Maybe he wanted to look in the mirror and see Leonard and not see himself. I think that's probably the logic that went into making this decision, but still, I don't think you do it here. So where would I put this on my excitement level? Let's see. I would put this one at about a 3.5 out of 5. It's coming out on December 20th, which is the time that I'm fully into watching all of these Oscar-worthy movies. So I feel like this is one I'll take a deep dive into and really spend some time with. And the fact that I can watch it at home, I like that aspect of it. I'm also interested in the career of Bradley Cooper as a director now, probably more so than his acting. And I'm curious to see how this film affects the trajectory of his directing career. Is he going to keep doing just music biopics? Is he going to maybe do a thriller down the line or something completely different, which I feel like A Star is Born really made his name known as a director. So this could be that one that elevates him even more into being 
an Oscar-worthy level director. And again, I also love Carrie Mulligan and Maya Hawk and Sarah Silverman are also in the film. So I think this movie has a lot of potential. If you want to see it in theaters, though, it is coming out on November 20th in select theaters because any movie that wants to be considered to be nominated at the Oscars has to have a theatrical run. So for those who want to check it out there. But for me, this is one I'll just wait to watch on Netflix. And that is Maestro. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. Oh, yeah. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week, which last week we had an interview with the director of Blue Beetle. So I asked you to comment on my Instagram reel and TikTok with a clip from that interview with the beetle emoji. And this week's listener shout out of the week goes to Jacob Gutierrez, who commented and said, I love the interview this week. Hit me with that beetle emoji. There were so many great comments over there of a lot of people really enjoying last week's interview. So I came back this week and hit you guys with another interview. So we got to do it again. So comment on this week's reel and TikTok post with Frederick Yanay. Hit me with the music note emoji on that video. I'll pick somebody who leaves the music note and give you next week's listener shout out of the week. And thank you all for the comments about enjoying the interviews and saying my interview skills have grown over the years and just how much this entire podcast has grown over the years. Thank you for being a part of it. I hope you have a great rest of your week. And until next time, go out and watch good movies. Have a great Halloween. And I will talk to you later. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.